Supposed to have Berg with us. <laughs> so, so, uh, well, okay, so let's be fair to, oh, wait, wait, wait. to Berg. Just a minute. Oh, he's he calling right now? Hello? Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How are you doing? Five minutes? Oh, he actually hung up. It's my new phone. Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tasting Studios, I'm Bullhagen. I'm Brick. And I'm Vicar. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. We got the whole gang together. Oh, it's awesome. Do you know what, Berg? I'm happy. I was kind of tired and grumpy. I, I see that mug of yours. Not the one with your beverage, but your smiley. What, where? You're not quite, don't have quite the full Berg smile. It takes me about two minutes before I get that. But it, it's starting. You know it. <laughs> now we're going. <laughs> How you been? Good. Living the dream. All right. Turn Bill Higgin down. He's gotten too excited. I've got too excited. Turn my mic down. Ah. So. Yeah, and you're going on vacation too? You know it. We're all you gonna can't go. be the only one. Yeah. Well, I'm actually uh, combining business and pleasure. I have a, a a conference to go to in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in July, beginning of July. So, or? no, this is the CCLE conference. So, okay. I'm gonna learn teaching and stuff. Sweet. You driving or you flying? We're driving because we're planning to see a bunch of people on the way. So. Cool. And by the way, uh, our convention is Friday and Saturday, and I am on the ballot for first or second vice president. Look at you. What a political animal. I know. I don't I don't think every, anything's going to happen, but you never know. See, I think homie I, don't play that, so. I think I have a good reputation in the district. Maybe. I would say so. <laughs> Maybe too good. <laughs> Maybe that's it. People don't want a, a vice president quite this handsome. Well, see, now that Berg's gone, you're a shoe-in, right? <laughs> see, you got this. If they would just listen to the clerical errors, they'd know. They'd know you were really down to earth. You know, it's funny. There is a delegate going to the district con- uh, convention that uh, uh, is a fan of the show and has the um, riff on that T-shirt. I kind of want to call him and have him wear that to the district convention. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, you should. Should I... Should I uh, should I text that to him, see if I can get him to do that? Yeah, we should have, like, everyone in Iowa who's going to the convention, Iowa East, wear any sort of clerical heirs merchandise they have. All right. <laughs> then they could sit together. It'd be like a voting block. It'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I'm going to go like, ahead and be a lobbyist for the uh, IDE. It's cam- <laughs> campaign swag. Bullhagen campaign right. swag. Well, you know what? If I'm not elected to one of the vice presidents, maybe I'll just, like... Step to the microphone. Like I said on the Clerical Airs podcast. <laughs> and then have them all clap, you know. Right, like Do right. a standing ovation. Right. You know how, like, like when you, when you like have a district. Right after you say that. <laughs> I can have all my former vicars, like, stand up and get it going. Exactly. You know. Except for it'd the be one like, running uh, against you. <laughs> what, is there one running against you? Yeah, Burns. Uh, you got betrayed. <laughs> By your own vicars. Do you know what I said? I said it. I said in the bio. I put it this way. I said, uh, uh, "Vicar and supervisor to eighteen vicars, uh, all of whom are still serving in the ministry, including several in our own district." Ah. <laughs> so if he gets elected, are you going to be his Annas? No, be like Annas, Annas to his Caiaphas. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll be happy. I mean, it's kind of like I got there, right? <laughs> You are there. Your success is my success. Also, my success is my success. That's correct. <laughs> That's the Carl Bullhagen way. You know that. If um, he wins, you can just give him a big handshake. Well done, son. Right. Don't forget where you If came you from. need any help, give me a call. <laughs> to ah. Uncle Carl. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, we do need some youth in that thing. The, the Claire Claire's podcast over here setting up a puppet government. <laughs> I, I like it. Shadow government, deep state. Deep state. <laughs> hey, so Vicar, you're preaching this Sunday. What are you preaching on? Oh, 
Luke 14, 15 to 24, uh, one of the parables. And which parable is that? It's where the Pharisees uh, think they're going to have eat bread in heaven. And so Jesus tells a parable of a bunch of guys making excuses. <laughs> so Maybe I hope to eat bread in heaven. Well, here it goes. When one of those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Oof. This is the gospel of the Lord. Ha. Ah, thanks, Peter. <laughs> this is a kind of sermon that, that text that almost preaches itself, isn't it? It's almost like you just have to read that parable slowly. And see, just and just throw a few of Berg's Guys in there. <laughs> Guys, listen. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hear you clucking, big chicken. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, uh, I love the excuse, uh, I have a wife. <laughs> it's like... That was my favorite excuse after I got married for a long time. How long did that work for you? <laughs> I have a uh, wife. It actually worked for a long time. It was awesome. It sounds like a guy fighting for a lifeboat, right? Oh, I have a wife. (laughs) (laughs) I have a child. So, Vicar, where are you going with this? Well, I'm looking at those excuses because I want to talk about the one guy the Pharisee thought uh, he knew what true blessedness was and that basically they all... Um, this Messiah that was coming was going to restore the kingdom for them, you know, to to high prominence for them. And Jesus teaches them what true blessedness is, basically by saying what it isn't with all those excuses. You know, like true blessedness um, is not found in your business dealings. The one guy bought a field and had to go see it. True blessedness isn't found in your purchases and possessions. For the guy who bought five yoke of oxen, so ten, ten oxen, and he was probably a rich man, that he needed to go examine them. And the third guy, true, who uh, got married, true blessedness isn't found in our family and friends alone, apart from um, God's love. That's how he, one of the ways that he does bless us, but better yet, when we do worship together and support each other in faith. So a lot of these actually are application for today. These are the reasons people have, too, for not coming to church. So it's hard not to and, and go the fact, there with the it. And the fact that uh, at the beginning, it's just uh, it's, it's like a, an entitlement. You know, this is, won't be great without actually recognizing the invitation through Christ that's right there before him. They just assumed, oh, yeah, you know. We'll be there without actually considering the one who's actually telling this this message. What do you got, Berg? I'm preaching on uh, Proverbs 9. I actually just got done preaching this sermon for the first time um, since we're recording a Wednesday night. Um, so uh, I'm talking about wisdom, kind of building off of last week's um, parable, you know, of the rich man and Lazarus. Mm-hmm. And... Um, how the rich man is stupid and a scoffer. Um, and so I talk about 
the difference between wisdom and knowledge, the characteristics of wisdom, and uh, the essence or what wisdom really is. And what's interesting, I think, in this whole deal is um, wisdom is intimate, but it's not promiscuous. What I mean by that is wisdom is intimate in that wisdom invites you into her house and she feeds you. There's nothing more intimate than being invited into someone's house. And this is one of the scriptural images of the intimacy that God has with us, his believers. You see it in the Song of Solomon. Um, You see it in Ephesians 5 with Christ and his church, where marriage language is talked about there. There's an intimacy about being invited into somebody's house, right? Mm -hmm. And actually, that from a practical point of view... um that there is a big difference between talk, talking to someone on the phone and sitting at their kitchen table. Right. And while wisdom is intimate, it's not promiscuous, right? You've all heard the saying, my house, my rules. You're a bad mm-hmm. guest if you come in on Taco Tuesday and want demand a cheeseburger, right? right. Into somebody's mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a bad guest if you go in and demand that they conform to your way of thinking and doing things, right? Like There's a respect that uh, you respect the rules of the house because you love the family, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with all these guys who are making excuses. They know that they can't bring the rules of this world into God's house. They can't bring their oxen. They can't bring their fields. They can't you know, bring their wives, their families, and so they make excuses because they don't want to go. And I think that's a really interesting point because Scripture talks about this, right, that we should be gregarious for the Christian faith, but we shouldn't be promiscuous with it either. And this comes up with uh, the middle part of Proverbs chapter 9, right, in that reading, that, uh, you know, do not rebuke a scoffer or he will hate you. What is actually being said there? Well, it's the same thing that Jesus says when he says, don't give what is holy to the dogs or cast pearls before swine. Right? The intimacy mm-hmm. of Christ's church is a delicate thing. It's a sacred thing. It's something that ought to be protected just as we protect our own uh, home lives. Right? Right. Now, this trans- um, this is, transitions well, I think, then. To this discussion, we had a question from Hannah that uh, I, I kind of covered a little bit, not completely serious, because I want to have this discussion with you. Um, but the question was on what's the difference between close and closed communion? I think there's something to what you're saying in that. I mean, I do think that it can kind of be gimmicky, the, the D and the parenthesis. You know? Yeah, that's that's kind of dumb. Right? Um, and because my answer to the question was, I know you listened to it, but um, the answer to the I, question— I haven't had a chance, sorry. <laughs> uh, was, well, closed has a D on it. <laughs> and I kind of joked around. Now, we only know there's close, where you're close to, with those you commune, and there's the D, it's closed. And, and there are some Sundays where you might look around and say, yeah, that D's important today. <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> well, you know, I think about it with my uh with my own family. I mean, I close the door. Right. You know, um there is something to be said about um a closed circle, right? Mhm. But I th- I think um, I think it's it's an attempt to uh it's an attempt to soften it they want to have their cake and eat it too. Is what it right. ends up. Right. Well, being. it does emphasize, you know, you know the 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 closeness of a common confession at the Lord's table, and I can I can understand that. But uh, and, and what you're that's saying that's not why they're that's why they're not. But that's not why they're doing it. Yeah, I don't you know. know. You know that. Come on. <laughs> you you know that's not why. You know doing it's my it. nature to take the best construction on everything. <laughs> yeah, but we don't also have to. You know. Right. Bury our heads in the sand either. Right. But the reason why I brought this up is is I thought that that falls in line, though, with your discussion on intimacy and promiscuity. Don't you think? 
Yeah, I do. Um, but I see the closeness becoming more promiscuous. I, I guess in a way, the closeness is actually what I don't like about it as I'm thinking about it out loud. Is mm-hmm. um, I guess what I don't like about the close aspect is when you take communion, you're actually one with yeah. Christ. And that is, that's a lot deeper than just kind of an, a close, I mean, you know what I'm saying? That, that, right. that doesn't quite really state what you have uh, strong enough. And, and, and you're, you're unified in the body and blood of Jesus because Jesus is, and you're unified with God because he and the Father are one, just as we are one in his name at the Lord's Supper. So, so well, and cl- that's what communion means, right? Right. We share in this common thing together, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, close communion is like... Do you, do you know, I'm, I'm just... A moment <laughs> of clarity. Okay? Can I, can, I, can I make an honest confession? Please. I'm not sure if my communion cards has the, the D in parenthesis or not. Uh-oh. <laughs> You want me to go get one? Go get one. Yeah, no. I, I think you should make the vicar write the D in parentheses <laughs> on all of the cards. <laughs> if it's not there, that'd be awesome. Because I, I had a, I have a statement that I review. I guess I review it. I just you see it so often, you just kind of. <laughs> How's that for honesty or real behind the collar moment? See, you're you are very honest. You're like George Washington and the cherry tree. Yes. King I, I, Canute and the waves. I, I'm okay to be a vulnerable once in a while, Berg. You are. <laughs> so I don't know. What do you want to talk about? How was your trip? Oh, it was good. Good. You'd like this. You would you would like this about about my trip. So I got back from my trip. And I was so inspired by my trip. I painted what a beach at nighttime oh nice did you get some nice canvas and that sort of thing yeah yeah i did i got a i got a canvas from uh um i was at the dollar tree <laughs> got a canvas and vicar just got the communion card yes i actually i don't use that i don't say we have closed communion i say you have to be a, a member of a in good standing of a LCMS congregation. That's so, better anyway. Right. I, I avoid the label altogether. But you know, it's true. I, I, you are, you are, uh, you are a trendsetter. Right. And then I have it on the, each, each cover too. So, but I actually don't call it closed communion, even though it's basically, it's what I'm saying, which is probably better. So, yeah. So, Peter, I I want to do a news that bothers Berg because I heard something. Okay, I'm gonna text you something. Can you find this article? Cause it should be pretty easy. Okay. All right. I can see what I can do. All right. So I don't know. Do Do you have anything else you wanted to do? I have something here if you wanna. Sure. And we I, we have a few questions. We got a funeral question. And we've got a billboard from Hannah. We got we got some Hannah stuff to clear out while we're you're together too. Okay, rock on. So, so why don't we get to your stuff first? I want to make sure we get that. So, is it a, a, a pastor piece theater? No, I I don't know. Probably campfire catechesis. Oh, oh, we haven't done a campfire catechesis in a long time. We still got that right. audio, don't we, Peter? Yeah, of course. I don't throw it away. All right, All right, bringing Peter. back. From the Play from the pale. the intro. Gather around, everyone. Time for campfire catechesis. Ah, that's a nice fire going, isn't it? Vicar, do you know what this is? Nope. We have a segment where we have a roaring fire in the background. Like, listener, okay. Close your eyes. Gather around the fire. You know, fire's kind of like a good cigar. It brings people together, right? Do you smoke cigars, Vicar? No. Oh, I failed. Um, <laughs> you still have time. 
You never Not offered much. me one, so. Oh, we'll have one. Some, we'll have, <laughs> we'll have one sometime, right? right? I used to have some cigars, but I gave them to my sons. Anyways, this fire. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, uh, so um, on this beautiful campfire night, uh, what are you going to teach us today, Berg? Well, um, I've been preparing for Sunday. We're starting a um, a lesson on the liturgy. And uh, I'm doing the invocation and the confession and absolution, kind of going through where it came from, what are the the theological, historical backgrounds, and, you know, what's all going on there. It's really been fascinating. Um, it's going to take, like, I don't know. It's a good thing I'm leaving because then I can't, like, spend four weeks on this because um, <laughs> there's just so much awesomeness here. But I did want to kind of touch on tonight— um, what did confession and absolution look like in the Reformation? What problems did they have with it? And um, can we actually use uh, conditional absolutions? Is that a Lutheran thing? Is that not a Lutheran thing? Um, because uh, in my studies, it's been very, very interesting to see different uh, formulas of absolution like, for example, from the Common Service Book of 1917, um, in their uh, service here, it says, let's see here, this is, this is their absolution. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, hath had mercy upon us for the sake of the sufferings, death, and resurrection of his dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, forgiveth us all our sins as a minister of the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare unto you who do truly repent and believe in him the entire forgiveness of all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. On the other hand, by the same authority, I declare unto the impenitent and unbelieving that so long as they continue in their impenitence, God hath not forgiven their sins, and will assuredly visit their iniquities upon them, if they turn not from their evil ways, and come to true repentance and faith in Christ, ere the day of grace be ended. Okay, can I, can I say something about this? Please. So if we, one thing I do like about that, I mean, if we really truly believe that the absolution is the voice of Christ forgiving your sins, right? And you got a mixed crowd. <laughs> right, this is the, uh, I mean, this is the dilemma, right? Right. Well, is now, an ab- is the, the absolution... That is uh, conditional. Is it actually absolution? Right. See, the Lutheran in me wants to have the that first part and then end with the gospel. Yep. <laughs> it's an order thing, I suppose. Um. Well, then it would drive the home. Well, then home. Well, wouldn't there be a better need then for private confession absolution? Yeah, and this is what we'll be talking about here in the next uh, little bit with the history. Because all of this has actually been debated before, during the Reformation, in the 1520s. Um, There is, you know, it's really interesting because when you read our confessions, they're really all about private confession and absolution. Okay? It's kind of an interesting thing, right? Because the, 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 the public that we know of really didn't exist, did it? Maybe the yeah, preaching, I, the preaching aspect of it, perhaps. The the preaching did. I mean, you think about it. Luther never prepared a public order for a confession and absolution like we have at the beginning of our service, and that's why actually the beginning of our service is called like the preparatory service. Mm-hmm. Uh, the true service begins at the introit, which means entrance. That's mm-hmm. why, like at the seminary. They do a, uh, the confession and absolution in the back of the church. Right, Vicar? Right. So it's interesting because both we, Luther and Melanchthon... You think we ought to do that sometime? In the back of our church? Yeah. For the people? Or... Uh, no, have the confession and absolution in the back and then... And then walk into the chanting the intro it? Yeah. That'd be cool. Huh. I might, maybe I'll bounce that off the elders. Yeah, it'd be kind of neat. I've been here long. I haven't shaken things up too much lately. <laughs> well, those yeah, guys... You haven't been on the guys... podcast for a while. 
Those guys like their matins, though. <laughs> Inside joke. Anyways, so, uh... So continue on then. So it didn't exist. I mean, it did, but they weren't very common. These kind of corporate, these public orders of confession and absolution that we're used to. And most Lutheran territories actually legally mandated private confession. Which is interesting. So you get to a place, a city, and it was an imperial city. It's called Nuremberg. Nuremberg had kind of stopped with private confession and absolution by 1524. And they actually did a, a public order of confession and absolution. And this is actually what the confession is. I'll read the confession and then what the pastor says and the absolution. So here's the confession. I, a poor, miserable, and sinful human being, acknowledge to God my heavenly Father, to the Lord Jesus my Savior, to you my brothers and sisters, and to the whole Christian community, that I unfortunately have sinned frequently and seriously against God my Lord by disbelief and lack of trust and not and by not loving him above all things and my neighbor as myself. This is readily apparent to me and causes me great sorrow in the depths of myself. O Lord God, Almighty Father, I, a poor sinner, remind you of your most gracious pledge and promise where you promise the forgiveness of sin through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and poured out his blood for our forgiveness. The same Jesus Christ, my Lord, also spoke through his holy mouth that where two or three are gathered in his name, he will be in their midst, and that what they ask from you in his name will be granted them. Therefore, we ask for forgiveness of our sins in his name. That's kind of a neat confession. Right. You can hear the our corporate confession in that, though. No, I'm not saying that, that yeah. we don't. I yeah. like the use of uh, where two or three are gathered in his name, he will be in their midst, and that what they ask from you in his name will be granted them. Right, Matthew Therefore, 18. we ask for forgiveness of sins in his name. That's not usually how we use Matthew 18. Right. And I like the fact that, you know, it uses Matthew 18 in its proper context. It's Matthew 18 is about bring your brother back to repentance. You know, when, when you hear those words, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them, a lot of people think, oh, look, Jesus is with us. He's weird. weird. You know, <laughs> nice. Pat each other on the back. But it's really about this. That's really about repentance, forgiveness, uh, the office and, of the keys. And the great authority that the church has in whatever you ask, right, right. it will be given to you, which is amazing, right? So what does the pastor say? Uh, the pastor says, The Lord God says to us, according to thy, or dine would be the German. It's the second person familiar. right? We really don't have that in English. Um, but it's like you singular, right? Not right. y'all. It's you singular. According to your singular faith, it will happen to you. Go in peace. Sin no more. Thy sin is forgiven, removed, and left behind. And then the absolution is, my dear brothers and sisters, God has mercy on us, pardoned our sins, and will give us eternal life. Amen. Oh, switches. So, the, yeah. The pronouns. It's, it's very interesting, right? Because the pastor goes from kind of this general, you know, plural to the singular. Your faith, right? You mm -hmm. singular. Don't, don't you um, think, don't you think as, as, when you're learning to preach, that's one of the biggest things you, you kind of grow into an understanding is the use of pronouns. Yeah, and how we've lost them in English. Because unfortunately, like in English, it's hard because you have you, which can mean singular or it can mean plural. Right. Right? Where, I mean, that's kind of actually what the nice thing about thy was. Thee and thy and thou. Because then it's really clear... You're just talking to one person. Right. It's more clear in Texas because they'll say y'all. Actually, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I do this all the time. And, and, and enough that, you know, people understand what I'm saying because I say, oh, yeah, okay. I talk, I say, you, the one keeping your seat warm this morning. <laughs> right. Actually, you know, and Victor's even use that. I because, threw one in. 
right. last time I right, preached. Right, because it, it, it just it drives home the point that I'm talking, you know, in this kind of the same way. Because we don't have that in English, I have to say that. Right, exactly. And so it's interesting because there the pastor turns to, according to your faith, it will happen to you, right? So there would be the condition, right? Mm-hmm. If you have faith, you're forgiven. If you don't have faith, right, you're not forgiven. And so, oh, go ahead. And uh, it's this. What's still missing, though, is the fact that, okay, is um, you, do, you still have to walk. It's so, so important for sometimes when I meet talk with someone to actually walk them through that, though. You know, because so much of the time is uh, self-diagnosis of what sin really is, mm-hmm. right? Actually, I was uh, on an interview for KFUO this week. <laughs> I plugged yeah. the podcast. Good. Um, That's what I like to hear. Um, I was telling the other guys earlier, it was kind of funny. I did it in the studio, and I got behind my microphone. I think I scared them because I went into clerical errors mode. So they said, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so. And then I just jumped in, and I'm Carl Bullhagen. And they're like, what? What's going on? <laughs> it's like coffee hour, and I said something like, so, what kind of coffee you have, you know? <laughs> what you drink? Nice. They'll think twice about interviewing you again. Right. And they'll say, oh, that's Their ratings a probably went up by like 40%. Right. So. <laughs> and so I, I, I kind of brought this, this, this concept up, because they're talking about the need for pastors. You know, I think... A lot of times, this happens so much, where we kind of, you know how we Google health stuff and we try to figure out, right, without actually going to the doctor? I always love that line from uh, Parks and Rec where Andy Googles, uh, you know, um, uh, what's her name? Um, Amy Poehler's character. Amy Poehler's character. um, Leslie's symptoms because she's sick. He's like, Leslie, I think you have connectivity issues. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we, when it, we, how often do you think people in pews, they go through a spiritual thing and question and struggle, and they basically spend all their energy self-diagnosing and without actually talking to the pastor about whatever spiritual is issue it is and hearing the actual diagnosis of your sins are forgiven or you need to repent right um it's kind of like uh it it reminds me of uh when covid first hit remember when that happened everyone thought oh yeah i had covid three months ago it just wasn't out yet or something everyone thought either they had covid or i might have covid because you could either have symptoms or no symptoms, and the only way to really test is to have a, you know, something stuck up your nose, you know. But isn't that right. what's go- going on? I never claimed that, by the way. <laughs> but isn't that what's going? What goes on without this kind of discussion with someone, right? If they're really and they they just you try to address it in sermons, but how much of is it of it is just self diagnosis, and. Um, and often either we're either too kind to ourselves or too hard on ourselves without actually hearing from the pastor who could actually walk them through what they really need to hear and what Christ actually says. Like confess, confession casistry or something? <laughs> right. I, is that might making sense to you, Berg? Yeah, actually, you and uh, Ossiander, Andreas Ossiander, had the same concerns. His problem with this general confession first was discipline, and you mentioned this before, right? It's, you can't find it in Scripture to give absolution to a mixed assembly where there are those who neither deserve nor want to confess their sins and receive absolution. That was his first critique of it. His second problem was the absolution itself, because if the absolution is conditional, if you have faith, I absolve you, then is it really absolution? And in his argument, he compared it he compared absolution to the bodily presence of Christ and the Lord's Supper. Right? Mm-hmm. 
See, so, 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 so to take my, my example, mm-hmm. imagine like a doctor walking into a hospital and saying, you're all going to be okay. Well, I, I think a better analogy would be walking into a hospital and just, you know, give uh, low-grade antibiotics to everybody. Right. Everyone has to get here, a vaccine. You, <laughs> yep. You, here, you get penicillin, and you get penicillin, and you get penicillin. Everybody gets penicillin. Right. Right? Broken leg, penicillin. Cancer, <laughs> penicillin. Leeches. Um, <laughs> hypochondria, penicillin. Right. Right? I mean, and that was his point, right? That, you know, and so this is what he actually argued. He actually argued the resumption of private confession and absolution to the exclusion of general public confession and absolution. So he wanted private confession back for the reasons, some of the reasons you described, and he and wanted he was, to stop public uh, confession absolution. And, and, and he also probably wanted it in conjunction with the Lord's Supper, right? Like right, to, yeah. Right. So the pastors and the city council didn't agree with him, both for theological and political reasons. Really? Because Nuremberg was an imperial city, it had had problems with confession and absolution and uh, the ban, right? Excommunication in the past, where the Bishop of Bomberg thought he could just come in and use excommunication as a club to force people to do his will. Which right? is what you would expect from someone called the Bishop of Bomberg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't that a great name? So this went on for years, okay? I mean, and that's great, right, that the city put up with this for a long time because can you imagine something like this happening today? Actually, there is one pastor in our district, well, in Iowa East, my former district, who has, who does, uh, he doesn't do uh, public confession and absolution. I believe he only does private confession and absolution. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. Okay. Never mind then. I can cut it out. So. No. I might need his vote. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, theological and political, man. <laughs> so ultimately, they wrote to Luther and Melanchthon, and they co-wrote this letter together on uh, dealing with Osiander's problem, right? Mm-hmm. Especially with the absolution, right? the conditional nature of it. And so this was their response. He said, for each absolution, whether administered publicly or privately, has to be understood as demanding faith and as being an aid to those who believe in it. Just as the gospel itself also proclaims forgiveness to all men in the whole world and exempts no one from this universal context. Nevertheless, the gospel certainly demands our faith and does not aid those who do not believe it. And yet the universal context of the gospel has to remain valid. So the whole point here is, is like, look, they're like, look, Osiander, whether it's public or private, it's like the gospel. It doesn't actually benefit you if you don't believe in it. Now, the absolution, like the gospel, can actually create faith, which means Mm -hmm. that it creates the very condition which it demands, right? Don't you think with most things in, in theology, though, in, as in this case, it's uh, it's a matter of not falling off either side of the horse, right? And this is this is the thing because Osiander became he flirted pretty dangerously with what's called opus operatum, the teaching that one receives God's grace by mere participation. So basically, if you're sitting in church, you hear it, you get grace points, whether right. you believe it or not. And that's kind of the right? Catholic. Right. And there is an imputation. There is an objective character to absolution. No one's denying that. And especially uh, Theodore Brahm, who was a 19th century Lutheran, he taught at, uh, I think it was Concordia Theological Seminary. He writes, absolution demands faith, creates and strengthens faith. Without faith, it does not profit man in the least. And he's right, because Mm -hmm. it does all of those things. Because and in fact, you can even look at a lot of our gospel, um, very good gospel points, right? 
Like right after, God so loved the world, right? What does it talk about? It talks about faith, right? He who has faith uh, is no longer under judgment, but he who does not believe remains condemned, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you have that in John chapter 3. Um, in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned, right? No mm-hmm. one's going to say that that's not the gospel. At least I hope not. Right. I mean, that would be terrible. <laughs> so, so so I would say we need we need both. Well, yeah, of course. You need the objective yeah. character of faith. I mean, you can't be like that, uh, That um, oh, what's his name? That loser from the medieval ages. It wasn't Abelard. Oh, he wrote the sentences. Vicar, who wrote the sentences? I don't know. That's not the app. The vicar's supposed to... You got a phone? <laughs> we've we've kind of lost the app, we, the app aspect. By the, by the way, Vicar, how are you doing? <laughs> how you doing? Peter Lombard. Yeah, oh, I think it was go. Peter Lombard. You know, he said that... I, um, I don't even get when people. <laughs> he said that when people actually went to confession, that the means by which they were forgiven was not the absolution that the priest gave. It was how perfect their contrition was how perfect their sorrow was. And if they were perfectly sorry, then the priest was just basically validating or uncovering what God had already done. So that was one of the theories out there, right? Mm -hmm. That honestly, that the absolution was just kind of a, a stamp of approval that, yeah, you were contrite enough Therefore, you're mm-hmm. good to go. Your your sins are forgiven. And, and I would say, isn't that how we preach it, though, too? Like, when you talk about absolution creating faith, isn't that how you, you preach the gospel, you know? To, to, to have that word outside of you telling you, even though you struggle with it, or you may not feel forgiven, but by Christ's pronouncement and by his giving you his body and blood, your sins are forgiven. We preach so that people can can understand that and and strengthen them in their faith. Right, and that is the objective nature of absolution. But once again, it doesn't profit you if you don't believe it. Right. Like with the Lord's Supper, right? Or baptism. Right. But the, or the gospel. But, but with, with, uh, with, for example, the Lord's Supper, we try to differentiate if we know someone doesn't have faith. We don't right. commune them. Just like if right. someone doesn't have faith, we don't absolve them. Well, we shouldn't. Right. And yet, if they show up in church... Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, so you're going to start preaching told, the... Uh, truth be told, I'm, I'm sometimes in a quandary because um, we're on the radio. And sometimes I wonder, because uh, our service is on the radio and I pronounce the absolution, like... Yeah. I mean, that is... It is problematic, isn't it? Right. Well, I, say, I feel like, like you're. That's like that's like um, it's like having church and then somebody's you know watching from the sidelines. Like they're not involved. But then again, when I think of, I've got shut-ins who can't make it, and I certainly go to them and I give them the Lord's Supper and absolve them there too. But I don't want them thinking, oh, because I'm not there, this doesn't apply to me. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you know, I don't know. So, so what did Oziander do when he was on the radio? Yeah, I think he. Wouldn't that uh, be amazing if we if they had a podcast and like we could listen to him? Just think it'd be in German, so you know. Just think in five hundred years they'll be, they'll be they'll unearth you know the clerical heirs podcast and. No, they won't. <laughs> hey, I want to say something. My mother, uh, thanks you. She has really gotten into your your pedagogy book. She ordered it and she really likes it. Oh, with oh yeah the uh, the Kaler one yeah yeah that was great I so. I'm glad that's I think it's very very helpful honestly so so uh, Peter uh, did you find that news article I did all right I've got a news that bothers Berg Peter play the intro there's fake news 
There's real news. Then there's real news that Berg wishes was fake. It's time to hear news that All bothers right, Berg. Alright, so Bullhagen sent me, sent me two words and told me uh, he read a story about it and I had to go find it. Uh, Berg, you have any idea what those two words might have been? Do I even want to know? Probably not. He sent me two words and he, the two words he sent me were elephant funeral. So I looked up I and I it, found. I think he's been watching the uh, Lion King too much with the elephant <laughs> graveyard. He found, or I found an article called that says from uh, IndiaTimes.com. Elephant kills woman in uh, Odisha, Odisha, tramples her body at funeral. <laughs> On June 10th, uh, there was an intense act of violence by an elephant against a 70-year-old woman, a resident of a village, who was ferociously attacked by an elephant in the forest nearby. According to reports, the woman was taken to the hospital in critical condition where she later died. After the medical formalities and post-mortem, her family and neighbors brought her home for her last rites. While the preparations were ongoing, the elephant returned in an extremely aggressive mood. The villagers ran for their lives while the tusker attacked the dead woman's corpse, trampling her <laughs> furiously. The elephant then started roaring, inciting others in the herd to attack the village as well. It then attacked her house in the village, smashing it and killing the goats as well. The herd then attacked several other houses, consuming their grains. The villagers said they ran away when, they heard, when the herd came charging, and when they came back... They witnessed the elephant lifting the body and destroying it brutally. So, Berg, what's your reaction? <laughs> did I pick did a good one? What did this what? woman do to this <laughs> elephant? What parts of the catechism apply to this? This really does sound like a rated R Disney movie, right? <laughs> like if Tarzan and the apes could have done that to the humans, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Holy cats, did she, like, not give him the right peanut or something? Or... <laughs> she looked a little mousy? I don't well, well, you and, know. Like, she, like, this elephant targeted this woman. Right. Like, because twice. I actually, I've seen, I've seen, uh, like, the and killed documentary. the goats. What did the goats do? Right. I, I've seen, uh, I've seen, uh, documentaries where, where elephants will actually have almost like a funeral, right? When one of them dies, they'll, like, walk by. And like pay their respects to the dead elephant, but this is like the opposite, and they never forget, right? Yeah. The, and she came. Well, these off. elephants obviously didn't forget because yeah, I was gonna say never cross an elephant because oh man, you never know they're never gonna forget. Okay, have you ever heard? I'm formulating a theory on this. Okay, do you want to hear my theory? Yeah, do you want to hear my theory? What's behind this? Story? Is it about a specific beverage? No, this is my theory. Okay, first of all, where does this take place? India. India. Odisha. What do they, what is one of the hallmarks of religion in India? Reincarnation. So So you think this was like some disgruntled lover? Where she was 70 years old. 70 years old. That, that perhaps there's some underpinnings in this story where maybe the villagers kind of trumped up this story so that people can start thinking, well, that elephant had a past. What, what do you think about my theory? Maybe. <laughs> it's frightening, though, isn't it? Will you ever look at an elephant the same way? Uh, nope. It's like, it's like any of those animals that turn on their handler, though, at some point. You know, they get sick of being abused and... Mm-hmm. You now, can take can the you animal imagine? out of the wild, but you can't take oh, the wild out you, of the animal. This would be... If Disney wants to start getting into, like, rated R things, it'd be like Dumbo Strikes Back. Right. Oh. Yes. See? Like, death from the air. Wow. Have you, this would be an amazing movie. Have you ever heard how those military elephants... I, I guess it would be in the Mideast or India or something, but... Um, some Asian com- country, they used them in the military, but sometimes these elephants would would turn and not go 
you know, towards the enemy, but tr- try to turn around, which would risk trampling their own people because um, they just don't stop. They just trample whatever's in the way. So they have you heard of how they had a, a kill switch for them? No. The rider would carry a, some kind of a spike and hammer, and if the elephant turned, they would drive it into the spine, put him down. Smart. That's metal. Yeah. Kill switch. Literally. So Hannibal brought elephants over the Alps to fight the Romans, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Must it's, be strong. Yeah. So I just thought that was an interesting story that you would like. I don't know if it bothers you. Maybe if you are an elephant it's, lover. It's horrifying, honestly. Those poor goats. I mean, yeah, exactly. What did the goats ever do to anybody? Like, I mean, Probably. and that's the thing. It's like insult to injury, right? She, they tear this poor woman's body apart, <laughs> destroy her home, and then kill her goats. <laughs> it's, I, I just right. and like break, like attack her village. Like they go for her, and then they switch to the village. They're like, okay. So I mean, <laughs> you, you all know, must pay. Well, and this is no longer like Planet of the Apes. Maybe this is like Planet of the Elephants. Right. So I can tell you what this isn't. This isn't uh, uh, Mother Nature mad <laughs> at the way we have ruined the environment. Unless I, that 70-year-old woman was like oh, really bad for the environment. Like, I don't know what she, she was secretly do. She was secretly an, an Exxon exec or something. Yeah, right. Hey, she how started about this? lithium mining. What about this theory? What about this theory? What if... What if there was... Now, you're going to like this, Berg. Okay? What if there was demonic possession of the elephant? Ooh. Huh? Like like the pigs, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, that's definitely possible. Where? I, I where, was going to take it a little bit more lighthearted that this woman was originally uh, one of the members of uh, the, you know, the uh, Captain Planet team. <laughs> and then she just forsook her calling and... Okay. This this was uh this was Mother Nature's revenge. All right. Well, we will we uh had an interesting show today. Nice campfire. It's good to have Berg back. We're gonna have another episode. So Keep it All real. Right. Keep it real. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. And may you keep your goats safe. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.